Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. I want you to go to Hebrews 9. I want you to go to these verses. We are talking about what? Read it. Bottom part. What are we talking about? God's design for man. How did God create man? He created you as a spirit. He gave you a soul. And you live in a body. In the initial creation of man, I'm going to try to do a little bit of quick review here. In the initial creation of man in the garden, man was a complete being. Spirit, soul, and body. What happened when man sinned? Come on, church, help me out. What happened when man sinned? His spirit died. Part of him died. He could no longer function under God's design. God's design was for you to function as a three-part being as one. Three as one, just like God. I showed you, as Kathy referred to in this series already, when God created the earth, when he brought everything into existence, it wasn't God the Father. It was God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The only way God functions in the context of him in relationship to divine order and authority and power is all three work together. Everything Jesus did on this planet had an involvement with all three of the Godhead. He heard from the Father what to say. I say nothing except what I hear the Father say. He, the Word, spoke, and the Holy Spirit, the power of God, brought into operation. If you want to function in your design as God's man or woman of God, now that you're born again, back to the three-part being, which we were designed, Psalm 8, to do what? To have dominion over the work of God's hands, what's in this earth. How do we do that? Same way God does. Well, you've got to function as a three-part being again. Spirit, soul, and body. The problem is when man died, what took over? His soul did. His mind, will, and emotions took over. His spirit's dead. His spirit's not ruling him. His soulish nature's ruling him. When you and I don't function out of our spirit man, we're back to functioning under the fallen aspect of Adam. We're functioning under a two-part being, incomplete. That's not God's design. God's design is for you to do what? Function out of all three parts. Now, this is important to understand. If you don't got it yet, write it down. Your spirit is to be the king. Now, I'm not taking Jesus away as the king of your life. That's not what I'm talking about. Talking about you as an individual, how God created you. Your king, your spirit is to be the king, the dominant one. Your spirit has the Holy Spirit living in it. It won't do anything apart from the will of God. It won't do anything out of line with God's will. It will not do anything out of line with the word of God. What causes us to get out of line with the word of God? Our soul does. And the problem is most of us still can't differentiate between the two. We get them confused. Most have never even understood they are a spirit or how to function out of that spirit. How many of you want to walk in God's design? This was not possible till Jesus died. When Jesus died, it was raised from the dead. Now your spirit could be what? Reborn. Now you're back to the place of God's design where you can function as a spirit with a soul in a body. So your spirit is to be the king. Say, my spirit is to be my king. Not over Jesus. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about dominating your life. This is what Dr. Sumrall learned and taught. Then the soul is to be what? What's the soul supposed to be? It's supposed to be the servant. It's not supposed to be the king, the one calling the shots. The soul, mind, will, and emotions is supposed to be subservient to your spirit man. 
Your spirit is to be dominating. Your soul is to serve what your spirit wants him to do. That soulish part of you. When you actually get your soul submitted to the real you, you're not a soul, you're a spirit. I know I'm talking fast, but this is all review. You hadn't been here for the previous lessons, go back, because I'm just referring to what we already taught on. When your soul gets submitted to your spirit, man, your soul is simply carrying out as a servant what your spirit tells it to do. You don't spout off and say whatever you want out of your soul. Your spirit determines that. Your spirit is what determines that. You don't just make decisions out of your soul. Your spirit determines that. And when the, everything is flowing out of your spirit, man, guess what's now coming from out of your life? Divine life. Yeah. Zoe life. It's in there. It's not functioning in most Christians' lives because they're not walking by God's design. They're still functioning as a soul and a body trying to see God's power work in their life. Kathy said you need to speak the word of God. You do, but it's got to come out of your spirit. Listen to me. Listen to me. Praying prayers isn't what brings results. It's believing prayers that bring results. It's believing prayer. It's believing in your heart what you pray. Just praying something or saying something ain't going to bring results. It's what you believe in your heart and say or pray. Well, where's that God come from? My spirit man. How do we get there? I'm going to show you in this series if you'll pay attention and hang on. So understand this. My spirit is to be my king and not above Jesus. Talking about ruling your entire being. My soul is to be the servant. So my mind, will, and emotions, emotions, emotions does nothing without doing what? Hearing from my spirit man. And as my soul submits to my spirit, what's the body? He just a slave, always has been. Your body's just carrying out whatever your soul then directs it to do. But that direction from your soul needs to initiate from where? Your spirit man. When you now come back to functioning out of your spirit, with your soul, your body therefore doing what it's told, guess what you're back to? God's design for man. Amen. Now you're back to Psalm 8. Now you're back to Genesis 1. Now you're back to a place of dominion and authority because that's how God works. A lot of people don't understand why does the power of God not work in my life? You're not doing it this way. You're not doing it according to God's design. You can have knowledge of Scripture in your head. That is not releasing power in your life. You got to get it in your heart. I said you got to get it in your heart. So understanding God's design for man, God never did anything on the planet just for something to do. Well, you know, I'm kind of bored. I think I'll just have Solomon build a temple. Well, I'll start with Moses, you know, and then the permanent temple. Something to do. Give them something to do because they're going to be in that wilderness for quite a while. Why not just have them build a temple? No. No, he does everything on purpose for a purpose. I said he does everything on purpose for a purpose. In Hebrews 9, New Testament, we find out that this temple was actually symbolic of me and you. God was showing us a design of us. God was showing us a design of actual man. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1. Listen carefully. Then indeed, even the first covenant, Old Testament covenant, had ordinances of divine service. It did. Referring to what? And the earthly sanctuary. There was a purpose. It, it served a divine purpose in its time. To be able to cover for man's sin. To be able to help man to stay in relationship to God. They had to bring these sacrifices. They had to honor what God said. Verse 2. For a tabernacle was prepared. That's referring to what you're holding in your hand. That's referred to the picture of what's in your hand. A tab tabernacle was prepared. In, it notices the first part in which was the lampstand, table, showbread, which is called the sanctuary, or a more definitive term from the Old Testament would be called the holy place or the inner court. We're going to see that in a minute. Don't look at your graph yet. 
Don't look at your, you. See, that's why I wouldn't even hand them out really until I got to, re, after I read these verses. People get too easily distracted. Listen to the verses. We're going to go over all of it. You're not going to miss a thing if you'll pay attention. I'm not going to, I'm not going to shortchange you on your little graph that I gave you. I promise you. I said, I promise you. Get your eyes off of that. Set it down. Look at the verses. Notice this. Verse 2. A tabernacle was prepared. He talks about what was in the initial inner, inner court in the holy place. Verse 3. And also then behind the second veil. Say the second veil. Behind the second veil part of the tabernacle, which was called what? The holy of holies or the holiest of all. Verse 4. Notice this. Which had in it the golden censer, ark of the covenant, overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had manna in it. Remember what was in the ark? Aaron's rod that had budded and the tablets of covenant. God didn't just say, well, this sounds good. I think we'll just put some manna in the ark. I, I think we'll just put those rods of Aaron's that budded in the ark. I, I think we'll just put those things. No, he's doing this on purpose. He's trying to show me and you something. He's trying to help you and me understand something. This wasn't just for the Old Testament people. Well, how do we know that? Read on. I'll prove it to you. Verse 5, notice this. He also then above it put what? Cherubim over the Ark of the Covenant. Cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. The what? Tell me out loud, please. Of these things we cannot speak, uh, of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Well, the mercy seat automatically tells me and you this refers to us. Because guess what God did in sending Jesus to shed his blood for me and you? He gave us mercy. He gave us mercy. All he was doing under that Old Testament was able to show them mercy as a temporary form of mercy until Jesus could come and give us a permanent form of God's mercy. Verse 6, read on, read on. Now when these things had been thus prepared, what did the priest do? The priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. Please make a note of that. Circle that. Highlight that. Say, that's me now. See, the Bible says in the book of Revelation, you and I are now priests. We are now priests under the New Testament. Priest here doesn't mean you're called to go minister as a priest. It means to minister under the Lord. You are now priests and kings, the Bible says. So, he's literally telling you, in verse 6, these very things of this tabernacle, of this Old Testament... The priests always had to go into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. You're going to find out in a minute that's where you're supposed to be. You're supposed to spend a bunch of your, a bunch of your time in that, uh, in that initial inner court as we're going to talk about. Because this was all symbolic. This was all a type and a shadow of what we're supposed to walk in to walk in God's design. Any good amens on that? Verse 7, but into the second part, holy of holies. It is the high priest that went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for what? Offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. That was Jesus. Jesus went into that holy of holies for us, our inner heart, our inner sanctuary, shedding his blood so our heart could be made what? Brand new. Brand new. You still with me? Watch this, verse 8. Listen carefully. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all... Talking about man's heart here. Talking about man's heart here. The way to the holiest of all, man's heart was not yet made manifest. They couldn't do that under the Old Testament. Why? They couldn't get you saved. There wasn't a single sacrifice they could make of an animal that would be able to get into the holiest of all, your heart. Guess what the holiest of all place is today? It's your heart. 
It's your heart. That's the holiest of all places today. Why? That's where the Holy Spirit resides when you get born again. It's where the Shekinah glory of God is. Under the Old Testament in that tabernacle, what was the holiest of all? It was that inner court, that holy, that, uh, beyond, excuse me, it was that holy of holies beyond the inner court where the Shekinah glory was. Yes. Are you listening? Yes. So our high priest has now done what? Gone into our hearts, shed his blood, and made our hearts what? Brand new. Verse 9, it was symbolic. Oh, oh, what was? That old te- that uh, tabernacle of the Old Testament. Well, if it's symbolic, that means we're supposed to learn from it. If it's symbolic, that means I'm supposed to learn something from it. There's something I'm supposed to get about this. Otherwise, why would it be called symbolic? Notice, because it was symbolic for the present time. Oh, what present time? Now that you're born again. Well, you're supposed to learn from it then. I said, you're supposed to learn from it. This was symbolic for the present time. Notice this, notice this, in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered. You're supposed to still be doing this. I said, you're still supposed to be doing this. Not to a physical death of an animal for your sacrifice. No, but you and I are supposed to understand this symbolic statement of what the tabernacle represented, so that we can still offer both gifts and sacrifices, which cannot make us who perform the service perfect in regard to the conscience. Only Jesus could do that. So he's saying you still have something to offer, not something that could make you born again, brand new, and totally change your heart. No, Jesus did that. Notice verse 10, concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. So he's saying, we're not talking about going back to what they were doing. We're talking about to now understanding the symbolism of it in relationship to you and how do I still offer to God? As a priest today under my high priest, how do I still offer to God what's necessary for me to walk in God's design? Verse 11, Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. That is not of this creation. Might need to read that about 50 times because nobody got it yet. I'm going to read it again. Christ came as high priest of the good things to come. What good things to come? The brand new spirit that would be birthed in you so you could once again be a complete being. Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands. That is not of this creation. What do we read Wednesday night out of 2 Corinthians? You're the temple of God. What do we read there right before that? In relationship to the chapter above it. You're the building of God. Say, I'm God's building. I'm God's tabernacle. You know what he just told you right here in this verse that nobody's caught yet? Jesus Christ, our high priest, came with good things to come of the greater and more perfect tabernacle. That's you. That's you. The moment you're born again, your spirit's made perfect. It's a greater tabernacle. You're now the temple of God. You're now the housing of God's Shekinah glory. You're now the housing of God's Holy Spirit. You're now the housing of God's presence. I'm already preaching way better than this church's amen. Notice this, 12. This wasn't with the blood of goats and calves. 
This didn't happen with the blood of goats and calves. No, this, was, this happened because of what? His own blood. Which he entered the most holy place in heaven once for all, having obtained what? Eternal, Eternal redemption. Eternal redemption. Say, I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't say you're redeemed from sin. No. No, you're not. You're redeemed from the curse of the law. What's the curse of the law? Spiritual death, sickness and disease, poverty and lack. What is spiritual death a result of? Sin. You're not redeemed from sin. You're redeemed from spiritual death. Spiritual death was caused because of sin. What are you redeemed from? Spiritual death. What's that mean? I now have life. I now have a new spirit. I now am born again. And in the midst of that redemption, I also have freedom from what? Sickness and disease, poverty and lack. Thus saith Galatians 3.13 and 14 and Deuteronomy 28. Thank you for your amens this morning. Watch this. If the blood of bulls and goats, moving on, verse 13, if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the puring of the flesh, talking about under the old covenant, how much more? Don't you love the how much mores of the New Testament? How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God to do what? Cleanse your conscience from dead works to do what? Serve the living God. What's your conscience? The voice of your spirit. When you got born again, your spirit was made brand new. And therefore, guess what you could, you know what he's telling you in that verse? You can trust your conscience once again. Because your conscience, the voice of your spirit, man, your spirit's made new. Now, if you truly understand, although some will say they're going by their conscience, but they don't realize they're going by their soul. See, you got to be able to separate these two. You got to distinguish between the two. Because if you're still operating out of your soul, mind, will, and emotions, guess what you're operating out of? Come on, Wednesday night crowd, the lower Adamic nature. When you function out of your soul, what are you functioning in? A lower form of nature on the earth. When you function out of your spirit, man, what are you functioning in? A higher nature. Guess what nature you're functioning in? The nature of God. The life of God. The zoe of God. How in the world could Adam have authority over all the earth before he sinned? Because he was walking in God's design. He was functioning as a spirit with a soul in a body. When he sinned, his spirit died. He lost dominion. He got kicked out of the garden. Jesus got it back. Jesus got it back. 15, for this reason, he is what? Jesus is the mediator, the go-between of this new covenant by means of what? Death. For what? The redemption of the transgressions. For redeeming us from all that had happened under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal Inheritance. What was, the inter- what was the eternal inheritance, Wednesday night crowd? Psalm 8, Genesis 1. I made man. Remember David? What's man that you're mindful of him? Why'd you make him? Oh, to have dominion over the works of your hands. What's in this earth? Genesis 1. We're going to make man in our image, in our likeness. He is going to have dominion. But he lost it when he died spiritually. But Jesus got it back. So the reason a lot of Christians are not walking in power and authority is because they're not functioning under God's design, which is a design of what? A total man. Say total man. Spirit king, soul now the servant, not the leader. And the body submitted. Any good amens on that? 
So if you look at your, at your actual printout now that I gave you, if you look at this printout that I gave you, I'm going to show you this. We're going to walk through this together. We're going to look at all of it together. I am not going to leave anything out tonight. I went through this rather quickly Wednesday night because I didn't have time to cover it that well. I want you to see something overall first and foremost. The outer square, that outer square represents the actual outer part of the temple. Okay? When you walked into that actual gate on the right-hand side of your paper, you came into what was known as the outer court. Say the outer court. What does that outer square represent? Your body. The outer court represents your body. This was made. This was made symbolic of man. Man's a three-part being. God did not do this without purpose. God wanted us to see how he created us to function. You listening? And we're supposed to learn from it. So this outer court, this outer part here is representative. When you walk through that gate, you come into this outer court, what would you walk into? In relationship to what you are as a being. The body. You're acknowledging the body of man. What was in that outer court? We're going to go through all these in just a moment. It was the initial part of the outer court, altar of sacrifice and the laver. Now, once as the priest got done there, where did he go? He actually went through, uh, actually through a, a place on this first part of the inner court where there was a veil. He walked in behind there into that inner court known as the holy place. What does that represent, folks? Your soul. Your soul has mind, will, and emotions. There was three parts in that inner court, not by chance. Not by chance. God doesn't do anything by chance. He does everything with a design and a plan. You're going to get to heaven. You're going to see so many things you missed out on recognizing here while you were here. Oh, God, that was right in front of me all the time. I could have known that. I could have walked in that if I'd have just paid more attention in church, quit falling asleep, come on, showed up and got the word, chased after you more. I could have understood all this. Man, look what all I missed out on. Any good amens? So the inner court represents what? It represents your soul, mind, will, and emotions. Then there was another curtain between the holy place and the holy of holies. And that holy of holies literally had within it what? The presence of God. The Shekinah glory of God was in that presence along with what? The Ark of the Covenant. What did that represent? Your spirit man. That represented your spirit man. Guess who's in your spirit man now? The Holy Spirit. When Jesus died on a cross, what happened, to the co- what happened to the curtain between the Holy of Holies and, the inner, and that inner court, that holy place? It was ripped in two. Why? The presence of God came out of there. You know why? He never intended to live in this tabernacle. He wanted to live in you. You're the temple of God. Ladies and gentlemen, I hold up before you today you. This is you. God's saying this represents you. This is who you are. Learn this because it's symbolic. As he just said in Hebrews 9, there are still things you're supposed to offer and do before God as a priest of the New Testament. As one called to minister to the Lord. Because if you'll do this the way he designed it, you'll function in God's design and you'll see what? You'll see God's power and authority. You'll see your prayers answered. You'll see the dominion of God working in your life. Think about this. How much power do you need to change anything about your life relating to what you're dealing with in any aspect of life? How much power do you need that God couldn't provide by the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit was the very power of God that brought this earth into existence, and he was. If the Holy Spirit was the very one that put the stars in the sky and and the sun and the moon, and he was responding to God's word. If he was powerful enough to do all that, what could he not do for you? 
If the Holy Spirit was able to go into hell itself and bring Jesus up from the dead, what could he do for you? Well, I sure wished he'd work in me, learn God's design, and he will. He's inside you. You know what he's doing? He's in there going, Hello? It's me. Power God, sure like to help you with that. Sure like to work in your life. But the problem is you're letting your soul block me out. Your soul's ruling. And until you get the spirit man that I'm living in in here, in the kingly position, and get your soul submitted. Now, the minute you get your soul submitted to your spirit man in here, guess what? I'm coming out of here. I'm flowing out of here into your body. I'm flowing out of here through your hands. I'm flowing out of here through your mouth. Now, when you speak, authority's released. Come on, folks. You, you could go up to any demon and say, I command you to come out in the name of Jesus. And if that doesn't come out of your heart, let me help you. Let me help you. That demon's going to look at you and laugh and scoff at you. You listening? Well, who are you, sons of Sceva? The reason a lot of people don't walk in divine authority, they don't understand God's plan. They are not dominated by their spirit where that power resides. And therefore, that power has no way to get out. God's word is a hammer and a fire. God's word needs to totally continue to break off of you your old soulish rule and control so that it'll get submitted to your spirit, man, so God can flow out of you. Amen. Any good amens on that? Go to John 10. Let me walk you through this. Go to John 10. Now listen, folks, this isn't just me coming up with this or my design. I don't know when it was. It was probably five, six, seven years ago that I began to have God deal with me about the temple. And I'm going, why are you taking me back to the temple? <coughs> That's under the Old Testament. I understand there's things to learn. I get it, I get it. But I didn't understand at the time, why are you trying to show me the temple? And one day the Holy Spirit said, That's you. I started looking at all the elements. I said, y Yeah, absolutely us. No doubt about it. The altar of, in the, uh, altar of sacrifice, the labor, I get it. The inner court, yep, three parts, just like my spirit, soul, and body. Uh, excuse me, just like my uh, mind, will, and emotions, I get it. The inner court, my very spirit, or the Holy Spirit, this is me. But I couldn't put it all together. I just knew you was telling me, this is you. I put up that tabernacle as a temporary aspect of what a human is to get them through the Old Testament so they could come back to the new and get totally back in my design, but they could still learn from what I had them doing. They can learn how to actually walk in my design. I had them doing what they had to do to be able to still function under a form of my design. They couldn't fully function on that on their own. They had to do what I told them to do as a representative to be able to function and give me the ability to use my dominion in their life because I wasn't living in them any longer. But now that you have me on the inner court, you can come back to God's design and function the way God designed you. Any good amens on that? So on your page there, if you'll notice, what's the first thing they walk through? There's three parts to all of these. Every aspect of what God does relating to anything of life has to have three parts. A tree has three parts. A plant has three parts. Nothing in this entire planet li lives or functions without three parts. Go, go look at scientists. They'll tell you. Every single thing has three parts to it. Take one away, it dies. So the outer court, say outer court. Our body, our outer man, has three things we've got to deal with. To get back into God's design, there's three things we've got to deal with. Number one, the gate. Say the gate. So write that, or it's on your notes there. Look at John chapter 10. Look at John chapter 10, verse 9. You with me? 
Jesus here speaking said, I'm the door. Another translation says the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be what? Tell me. He will be saved and he will then do what? Go in and out and do what? So number one, understand this. When the in and out finding pasture thing, that's why you find a pastor. The previous verses in this verse, verses tell you that. You don't find a, a church, you find a pastor. Why? You're supposed to go in and out of this place. Come on, just like a lamb, just like a sheep being fed. Can I get a better amen? But notice what he said right before that. I'm the door. All who come through me, the gate, the door, will be what? So the first thing I have to do is I have to yield myself in a position of surrendering myself to Jesus to accept him as my Lord and Savior or I'm not even saved. I got to come through the gate, meaning I have to do what? Acknowledge him as my Lord and Savior. I have to use this physical mouth, right? Got to believe in my heart, but I got to confess with my mouth. Faith without works is dead and actually act upon that word so I can walk through the gate and receive salvation. When you and I receive salvation, we're on our way to God's design. We began our way to God's design for man. What's the next thing you come to? The altar of sacrifice. Go to Romans 12. Romans chapter 12. I'm going to look up every verse. So if you don't have time to turn to them, you got them on your notes at least. You can go back and look at them. Every verse. Romans chapter 12. So what happened in the six or seven years ago, I started looking at this. Along came uh, a revelation to me of one of our spiritual, uh, our, one of our pastor's spiritual dads, Dr. Lester Summerall, of a series he did called The Total Man. That intrigued me. I started looking into it. I started looking it up. I started going to find the teachings, took our men through it. And the, the context of the total man is simply going back to God's design. You were, you were not a total being, total man, till you got born again. Your spirit was dead. You were functioning out of two parts of yourself. But once you got born again, you can come back to the place of what? Functioning as a total man. And so this is what Summerall teaches. This is what he began to, he walked out in his life and from the scriptures learned. You, you might want to put a hold here on Romans 12 because we're going to come back in a minute to another verse. Romans chapter 12 verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you do what? Tell me. Tell me out loud, please. Everybody tell me out loud. Present your bodies as what? A living. So don't wait till you die. While you're still functioning on this earth. Present your body as a living sacrifice, what? Holy, acceptable to God, which is what? What is it? What did the priest do once those in the context of the days of the children of Israel brought their sacrifices to the priest? What did they do? They killed those animals outside the gate. They came through bloodshed. They came through. Jesus' blood already shed for us through that gate, and they came to the altar of sacrifice. What did they do? They burned their bodies of the animals there. What are you supposed to do? Offer your body. Once you're born again. Once you're born again, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to say, this body don't rule me anymore. I offer my body as a living sacrifice unto God. He's purchased my life. Blood's been shed, just like those animals. You listening? The blood of those animals had been shed. Guess what they're going to do now with the bodies of those animals? Burn them. Guess what you do? You honor your God by offering up your body, not letting your old fleshly nature rule. By becoming what? A living. Say living. Living Living sacrifice. So after they actually burnt those animals' bodies on that altar of sacrifice, before they could go into the inner court, back up to Romans 6, before they could walk into the inner court or what was initially the initial holy place, what did they have to do? Come to the laver. They had to come to the bronze laver. What was the bronze laver there for? For them to wash. 
They had to wash off all this blood, wash off all that they had had of the ashes and everything from burning the animal sacrifices. Before they could go into that inner court, before they could actually enter in and start dealing with what had to be done on that inner court, they had to wash themselves in the laver. Now, listen, you're already born again when you walk through the gate. I said, you already because blood's already been shed. So you're already born again when you walk through the gate. I just now offer my body as a living sacrifice. And I recognize what's now happened in my life through water baptism. Romans chapter 6. What was that labor? A place where they would water with water, wash themselves, bathe themselves off from all the stuff of the sacrifices they just offered. Romans 6 verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Answer, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized? What were we? Baptized. Into Christ Jesus. We're baptized into what? His death. Therefore, we were baptized with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also now what? So we are supposed to do so now. I'd like to read the remaining verses, but I don't have time. We're supposed to do so now by what? The moment you receive Christ Jesus as your Savior, you're to offer your body as a living sacrifice to him, and you're to be what? Water baptized. Does water baptism uh, cleanse you of your sin? Nope, the blood of Jesus already did that. Why am I being water baptized? I'm acknowledging by getting an outward act of being baptized, going into what we call a watery grave, that I'm not who I used to be. And I am acknowledging that old man is going to be subjected under the new man. I go under that water realizing he's dead. I come up out of that water acknowledging I've got a new man within me. I'm a new man. I'm not living like I used to. Water baptism is a commitment to God to quit living the way you used to as a sinner and to recognize I now have a Savior and I'm born again. That's the labor. That's the labor. The truth is, if you don't deal with yourself in relationship to acknowledging that you've died with Christ, you're probably not going to get much out of the next statement of the inner court. Because until you acknowledge you've died with Christ, think about this, as you're going to see in a minute. How can I renew my mind to who I am if I still think I'm an old sinner saved by grace? But see, I get water baptized knowing I'm not a sinner anymore. What is water baptism actually an act of me saying? I'm not a sinner. I'm born again. I'm a child of God. If I will acknowledge that, what am I recognizing? I'm recognizing I'm made brand new. So now I can step into that inner court and begin to do what? Go through restoration. I can begin to go through a whole total renewal of this actual part of my life so that I can begin to bring that new man that's already in that inner sanctuary out. Can I get a better amen? So now you actually, after the labor, when he was done with that, steps through that first actual curtain into the inner court or holy place. What's in that inner curtain or holy place? Three things. Showbread, table of showbread, altar of incense, and the lampstand. Let's start with the showbread. Go to Matthew 4. Matthew chapter 4. Go there with me. Say, praise the Lord, somebody. Matthew 4. Are you picking up on any of this yet? Some of you may have to meditate on it for a month or so. Do so to help you. Matthew chapter 4, you need to get this. So the table of showbread, obviously context of six different uh, types of, uh, six different loaves of bread, each their total of 12, representing 12 tribes of Israel. Those show, that table of showbread had to be changed out once a week. 
So we understand bread in relationship to their day. Bread's the life of the man. I mean, obviously, clearly, they continually had manna in heaven. Uh, she meant manna in the wilderness as a type of bread to help them sustain them through the time that they were in the wilderness. But notice what Jesus said about bread here. Matthew 4, because we're bringing it over into the New Testament, right? It was symbolic for this day we live in, correct? correct. Yes, no, maybe. Yes. Okay, so uh, let me back up. Let me back up. Notice on your notes. So the showbread represents the, the soul of man is broken up into three parts. Yes, no, maybe. Yeah, your soul, the Bible says, is what? Mind, will, and emotions. What's the showbread? Your will. The showbread represents your will, what you do. Look at this, Matthew 4, 4. Jesus answered and said, it is written, man shall not do what? Tell me out loud, please. He shall not live by bread alone. This statement's powerful because what he's actually saying is you're not supposed to live by your will. How do we know? Read the rest. But by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Well, what did Jesus do in the Garden of Gethsemane? He confirmed in three hours of prayer what God had said, what God wanted him to do. In that time of temptation in the wilderness, what was he dealing with? His will. How did he know God's will? He knew what God said. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the... You and I are supposed to live in the word so we can know the will of God. We're supposed to live in the Word. How do you know God's, God's will? It all has to come out of the Word. Even in relationship to the leading of the Holy Spirit, if you don't know the Word, you can be misled. If you don't know the Word, you can actually have your soul leading you. You think it's the Holy Spirit leading you. But if you know the Word, guess what you know? You know the will of God. Say it. If I know His Word, I know His will. How did Jesus know His will? Because I only do what I hear the Father tell me to do. I only say what I hear. So how did he walk in God's will? Through what God spoke. His, how are you going to walk in the will of God? Through the word. If you, you're going to find out in the series, if you're not going to live in the word, you won't function under God's design. You'll continue to live in the lower nature, your Adamic nature, your fallen nature, and literally be housing in you the power of God, the glory of God, the anointing of God, the help of God, and get very little of it. Because if you function out of your old soulish Adamic nature, guess who's leading you? The soul is. Guess what's determining your decisions? Your reasoning. Guess what reasoning can do? It can change with what it sees. It can change with what it hears. How's, let me just throw a little nugget out. How's one of the ways I know without a doubt I'm functioning out of my spirit and not out of my soul? When something comes up out of your spirit that's of God, guess what? You know. You don't reason. You don't even question. You don't even think about it. If you've got to think about it, it ain't coming from your spirit. Your spirit don't think about it. Your spirit knows. I said, your spirit knows. Faith is a knowing, folks. Faith is a knowing within your heart. Faith is a place of rest. The Bible says if you're walking in faith, you're walking in a place of rest. A lot of people think they're walking in faith because they're battling. They're fighting all the time. Oh, I just got to keep fighting. I got to keep praying. Oh, I got to press in. I got to keep going. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Did you already pray to believe you received? Yeah, but I got to keep fighting. What for? What for? I said, what for? If I already know, example for, let's say, let's say I'm doing an online car auction. All right? I'm not there, but I got somebody representing me or I'm there representing myself on the online car auction, and I buy a vehicle. And I come and tell you, guess what? I just bought a vehicle. Prove it, Pastor. We don't see it. No, I got it. Well, how do you know? Because they sent me the title. I got the title in hand, just waiting for the car to show up, but I already got it. I'm not going to have it when the car shows up. I already got it. Title says I got it. See, if you're walking by faith, you know what the title says. 
You're not waiting for it to show up in the natural. If you start reasoning things out because it's not there yet, you're not functioning out of your spirit. Your spirit doesn't function by reason. Your spirit knows. You listening to me? Your soul reasons. Come on, somebody. That's part of the mind. The mind is a reasoning faculty. It wants to reason everything out. It's your mind that can hinder your faith. If you don't believe this, why in the world? When the angel appeared to Zacharias in that temple and said, you're going to have a boy. Huh? You and Elizabeth are going to have a boy. You're going to call his name John. This is an angel, Gabriel, who is not speaking on his behalf. He's a messenger for God. Every word coming out of his mouth came from God. Didn't come from him. He's just repeating what God said to tell him. Who's talking to him? God is through the angel messenger, Gabriel. And he said, you're going to have a son. You and Elizabeth are going to have a son. You'd have thought after all this time they're not able, not able to have a son. He'd have started getting excited, shouting up and down and running around the altar. But he didn't. Well, I don't see how that's possible, basically is what he said. You know what the angel said? Does remember what the angel said? You ain't talking, son. I'm shutting your mouth. Oh, I wished I could do this for people in my church. Are you listening? I said, are you listening? He did not talk for nine months. You ain't saying a word. Why? Because you didn't believe me. Some of you don't realize you curse everything God tries to reveal to you by the Spirit. He tries to reveal things to your spirit, man, and you just keep reasoning everything out. I just don't understand, God. I don't see how that's going to work. So you're not functioning out of your spirit. You're functioning out of your soul. You're in the lower nature. You're in the lower Adamic nature. When you're functioning out of your spirit, God says something. You know what you say? Yep, that's the way it is. Yeah, I don't even reason about it. Come on. See, this is one of the ways you know whether your spirit's dominating or your soul is. If you're wavering and you're reasoning, I'm going to tell you why. You're functioning out of your soul. You're not functioning out of your spirit, man. Let, it, let me try to get it across to you again. Your spirit, man, knows. So if I know I got that car, I'm not sitting at home saying, boy, I sure hope I get that car. Boy, I sure hope that car shows up. Boy, I sure hope that car shows up. Man, I'm, just, I'm really hoping that car will show up. I mean, I know I paid money. I know I got a title, but I'm just, no. If I already got the title and I know it's mine, guess what? You're going to watch that baby show up in the driveway any day. Well, I got a title that says it's already mine. It ain't going to be mine when it shows up in the driveway. I already know it's mine. Well, I got a title. Paid the price. Jesus paid the price. You got a title. Why do most people not function in faith? They don't function under God's design. They function out of their soul. They don't let the word change them. They don't do the work of the priest in the inner court of the soul. We need to learn that today. I said we need to learn it. So the showbread is the will, Matthew 4.4. 4. You don't live by bread alone. Nope. Representing that showbread in this case, you don't live by that bread alone. In other words, the bread representing what? Man's will. What do you live by? The word of God. Every, every word. Say it, every word. That proceeds from who? The mouth of God. Could you imagine if you lived your life every day from every word of what God said and only, God, only what God said? You'd be in the perfect will of God. You can. I said you can. So the showbread represents what? Your will. What do you got to do? You got to subject your will to the word of God. You have to. Go to the opposite side, the lampstand. Go to James 1. What do the lampstand represent? Your little flickering emotions. Yeah, I know none of you got them, right? James chapter 1. Just because those emotions flicker and they will flicker does not mean they're to control you. 
Are you listening? Those emotions of yours are supposed to be subjected to your spirit man, which is actually subjecting itself to the Holy Spirit represented by the oil in the lamp. You listening? So the oil in the lamp is representing the very thing we're supposed to do with our emotions. What are we supposed to do with our little flickering emotions? Subject them to the Holy Spirit. Subject our emotion. Not, we're not supposed to act on them. We're not supposed to respond to them. Some of you need to learn to quit just immediately responding to your emotions. You're giving yourself away. Soulish, 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 soulish. You're in your lower nature. You want to live in your lower nature? That's fun. Or would you like to come to your higher nature? Also, see, you can forgive somebody wronged you this way. It's because you're living in your lower nature. But you live in your higher nature. You can be like Jesus. Forgive them, Lord. Even for driving the nails in my hands and feet. How could Jesus do that? He functioned out of his spirit, man. He didn't function out of his soul. Come on, somebody. Help me preach today. Y'all are way too quiet. James chapter 1, watch this. So the lampstand representing the part of our soul of our emotions has to be subjected to what? The Holy Spirit. 19, so then my beloved brethren, let every man be what? Underline it. Be what? Now I'm only hearing one of you repeat that. Are you in James 1? If you're not, get there quick. Don't sit in church and not look at the verses. Why'd you come? I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just saying, if you don't get your eyes on the verses, what do you think? How are you going to retain it? How are you going to get a hold of it? I'm going to give you a verse. You ready? Proverbs 4 says, do not let the word depart from your eyes. Don't let it depart from your eyes. So you can keep it in the midst of your heart. Some of the problem that you don't understand is you don't ever look at it so it doesn't get in your heart. So then, my beloved brethren... Let every man be swift to do what? Say, that includes you. Tell your neighbor, that includes you. Tell him, that includes me. Watch this. Be swift to hear, be slow to what? Slow to to what? Oh, so you're not just supposed to let your mouth spout off your emotions. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and therefore slow to what? To get angered. To let your emotions take over. You listening? Verse 20, for the wrath of man does not produce what? It does not produce the righteousness of God. You go out of your emotions, you are not going to be walking in what's right in the sight of God. And I'll say that one more time. If you live out of your emotions, you're not going to be walking in what's right in the sight of God. God did not create you to live out of your emotions. Created you to live out of your spirit man. If you live out of your spirit man, guess what it does? It changes your emotions. It deals with your emotions when they get wrong. Because the soul's now submitted the servant of the spirit. And if love's coming out of the spirit and allowed to function into the soul, guess what the soul's now going to do? It's going to get its emotions changed to line up with love. How do you love your enemies? Function out of your spirit, man. Jesus said, hey, I tell you, I tell you in the Old Testament, it was said of old, love, uh, you know, your neighbors yourself. But I tell you, love your enemies. What? I have a hard enough time loving my spouse. You want me to love my enemies? Why did he say, I tell you? You heard it was said of old, but I tell you. Why is he changing it? You're awful quiet. Surely you're not this misunderstanding of what he's talking about. He said, under the Old Testament, it said, just love your neighbors yourself, love one another. But I tell you why, because now you're back to what? Now you're back to God's design. That love wasn't in you under the Old Testament. You couldn't walk in that love because it wasn't in you. But it is now. 
I tell you, love your enemies. Just like I did. Why? Because you can come back to God's design. And love's always the best way. Verse 20, for the wrath of, watch again, wrath of man does not produce what? The righteousness of God. Say the lampstand, my emotions have to stay submitted. Come on, have to stay submitted to the Holy Spirit. Well, where's the Holy Spirit in your spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? Bear witness with your spirit. I got to be quick to what? Hear. I got to be quick. How do I hear the Holy Spirit? Listen to your conscience. Make a note. How do I deal, pastor, in this inner court? How do I deal with my emotions? I'll tell you how. I'll tell you how. You quit opening your mouth and you start opening your inner ear. And you start listening to your spirit man because your spirit man's hearing from the Holy Spirit telling you what to do. And if you'll do that, you'll get your emotions subdued and back in the place where they belong, submitted to you, the spirit man. But if you're not quick to hear, see, way too many of us are far quicker to speak than we are to hear. I gotta go. I gotta move on. I'm not sure you're getting all this, but I am. I hope you're getting this. I don't know. Maybe I ought to teach it for about four weeks. Just go over it again and again and again and again. Power, power, passing is repetition. So the showbread. I got to deal with my will. This is dealing with your soulish nature because the inner court, holy place, represents your soul. Three parts, right? I got to deal with my will. How? Keep it subjected to the Word of God. I got to deal with my emotions. Keep it subjected to what? The Holy Spirit. By submitting and listening to my spirit. And then the third part is the altar of incense. Which they continually had to put incense on. So that it would bring up a sweet aroma to the Lord. Go back to Romans 12. I told you to hold your place there. Go back to Romans 12. So this represents what? Your thought life. This represents your mind. Your reasoning. Your thoughts. What do you need to do? You need to constantly, continually... Deal with your mind through the word of God so that you're offering up to God the proper thoughts that you should be offering and getting rid of the ones you shouldn't have. That which is a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Stinking thoughts are not a sweet aroma to God. Godly thoughts are a sweet aroma to God, and they'll certainly help you in your life. Romans chapter 12 again. You still with me? So the altar of incense represents what? The mind. This is where our reasoning faculties are. So we reason things out. Look at Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to what? This world, world, but be transformed how? By the renewing of that mind. How often did they have to put incense on that altar? You ready? Does anybody know? Does anybody know how often they had to put incense on that altar? Twice a day. How often do you read the Bible, renew your mind? This represents me and you if you want to walk in in the design of God. Sure gets quiet when you talk like this. This, this. How many want to walk in the design of God? How many want to see the power and the glory of God in you working in your life? You got to go back to this design. The way he created you. What do I got to do? I got to deal with my mind by renewing my mind to that word and not the world. I got to renew my mind to the word and not the world. Because the only way that I'm going to get this to start functioning out of my spirit, man, is I got to get this mind submitted. I got to get this mind submitted to what the Word says. I got to get this mind submitted to who the Word says I am. I got to get my mind submitted to what the Word says I can do. I got to get my mind submitted to what the Word says I have. Not what my eyes tell me. Not what my ears hear. What God said. Without the continual renewal of the mind... 
Guess what your thoughts are not going to be? They're not going to be godly. Guess what that won't be? That won't be a sweet-smelling sweet aroma to the Lord. They're gonna, it's going to be a stinking thought. You get rid of your stinking thinking. How do you get rid of your stinking thinking? You got to do what? You got to get in the Word and renew your mind. And in the day in which they went in that altar, in that inner court, excuse me, to that altar, they did that twice a day. They did it in the morning. They did it at night. They started their day off at that altar. They finished their day at that altar. Thank you for all your amens about this. Then you go into what? The Holy of Holies. So then the priest would go into that Holy of Holies, representing, of course, for me and you now, our spirit man. Our spirit man. Outer court body, inner court, holy place soul, Holy of Holies, our spirit man. And that spirit man, the Shekinah glory was in there, represented by the Ark of the Covenant. Also had three things in it. This isn't by chance, folks. Three things, with three things that represent the deal with the outer court. The gate, the altar, the labor. This isn't by chance. You walk into the inner court. Three things. The showbread, the lampstand, the altar of incense. You walk in the holy of holies. Three things in that uh, Ark of the Covenant. You ready? I said, you ready? Three things in it. Ten commandments, Aaron's rod, and the manna from heaven. Go to Jeremiah 31. Say Hallelujah. Glory to God. Jeremiah 31. Lord, help us understand this. Help us get this. Because the truth is, this is all about spiritual development. This is all about developing and functioning as a spirit being with a soul living in a body. Help us understand this. This was very clear in the scripture. This is symbolic of how we can do this, of how we can function in God's original design. So in that Ark of the Covenant was what again? Well, initially what was in there was the Ten Commandments. Remember, Moses was told to take those two, those two tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments and put them into that Ark. Look at Jeremiah 31, verse 31. You still with me? Yes. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, yes. when I will make a new covenant. Say new covenant. Yes. Well, you're there. Yes. You're there. So they're still functioning under the old covenant with the tabernacle. But he's saying, guess what? There's coming a new covenant. Notice, with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Well, that ain't us. The Bible says you are now Israel. You're now part of Israel. You're part of the children of God. Verse 32, notice this. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, the type of the world. Nope, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. Why is this different? You can't break this one. Jesus established it. You may not walk in the light of it, but you can't break it. I said, you can't break it. This, this is a covenant that Jesus fulfilled standing in your place. See, a covenant's between two people. You want a covenant with God, you got to have God involved, but you got to have somebody else. You and I couldn't keep that covenant or we wouldn't have needed Jesus. Jesus did. He fulfilled the part of our covenant. You know why it can't be broken? He is perfect. He fulfilled what God needed. Somebody say amen. amen. Notice verse, uh, verse 32. I'm not doing this according to the one that I made with your fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, out of the world. 33, but this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I, underline it, will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. They will be conscious of it with their mind. But they're also going to have them written where? In their hearts. What's the ark represent? You, your inner man, your spirit man. 
Guess where the Ten Commandments are now? In your spirit, man. They're written on your heart. I said, I think Kathy and, and, and Tamara's the only one getting this today. I'm going to write them in your mind. They're going to be knowledgeable to your mind, but they're also going to be what? Written in your heart. And I will then be what? I'll be your God and you shall be what? When's that going to happen? The moment you got born again. 34, no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, know the Lord. In other words, you're not going to have to run around telling everybody you should know the Lord, you should know the Lord. You should, no, no, for they shall all know me. Meaning what? You don't have to go through somebody else to know God anymore. Once you're born again, you got him, in your, you got him living in you personally. You don't need a prophet of the Old Testament to tell you about him. He's living in you to, to, to reveal himself to you. Come on, somebody. Notice this. They will no longer say, know the Lord, for they shall know me. They shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. It doesn't matter their background, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. This is clearly the covenant we now have. So what happened the moment we got born again? In your spirit, man, in that ark of the covenant, your spirit, man, guess what God wrote in there? The Ten Commandments. This is why you know when you do wrong. This is why you feel conviction because guess what? Your spirit was made perfect. And within that new spirit, man, is a knowledge of those very commandments of God. Any amens on that? What about Aaron's rod? Go to John 15. Come on, I got to wrap up. We're going to have to come back and talk about the inner court tonight. I'm already out of time. John 15. Oh, man, I hope you get this. John 15. If you can't be here tonight, you better stream because I'm going to teach you about that inner court. You better learn about this inner court. You better learn about this initial holy. If you want to walk in God's design. Now, if you don't want to go back walking in the higher nature God put us back into, just ignore what I'm saying. But if you want to walk in God's higher life, higher design for you, you better learn what this is symbolic of and how it applies to us. We are now supposed to be offering up sacrifices to God. Where did the priest do that? In that inner court. And that initial holy part. We're going to talk about it tonight. I'm, I'm going to run out of time. John 15. So what's the second thing in that Ark of the Covenant they put in there? Aaron's rod. Aaron's rod. Now if you cut a rod off from any vine and you lay it on the ground, guess what it does? It dies. But guess what God told them? God told them, I'll tell you what you do. All of you who think you're right, and I'm telling you, I'm telling Aaron, Aaron's the right one here. You all bring a branch. You cut off a branch. You bring it. You lay it down. And the one that buds is the one that I'm proving to you that I'm with. And Aaron's rod budded. Amen. And God said, you put that in the Ark of the Covenant. That's right. John 15. Come on, somebody. John 15, verse 4. These things are already done for you. Verse 4, abide in me, and I in you as the branch cannot do what? Oh, branch can't do that by itself. But it did. It did. <laughs> it did. And now it's in you. Amen. Come on, somebody. The branch cannot bear fruit by itself. The, talking about the new life that God has for you. Unless it abides in what? The vine. the vine. Well, neither can you unless you do what? Abide in me. Vibe. I'm the vine. You're the what? You're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears what? Much fruit. For without me you can do what? Let me help you. You need to walk in the revelation of your connection to Jesus. He's already given you new life. He's already given you new life. He grafted you into the vine. You have the ability to bring forth fruit just like Aaron's rod. But what do you got to do? You got to walk in an awareness of your connection to Jesus. He's already in there. I said, he's already in there. And the last thing, the manna from heaven. Back up to John chapter 6. This is powerful.
He, why in the world did Jesus, excuse me, why in the world did God, sorry, why in the world did God tell them to put these things in the Ark of the Covenant represented of us? So that when we got to this day, we would understand what they mean to us. Ten Commandments, already got them, they're in my heart. If I just listened to my heart, I wouldn't violate God's law. I wouldn't violate God's law. What's God's new law? Love. See, if I listen to my heart, those commandments are in there. I don't have to figure them all out. All I got to do is walk under the commandment of love, and guess what I won't do? I won't violate any of those commandments. If my spirit dominates, guess what you're going to walk in? You're going to fulfill those commandments because you walk in love, you ain't going to violate any of them. If you recognize and acknowledge who you're connected with and walk in the light of that revelation of your new spirit man connected with Jesus, you're going to bear much fruit. What kind of fruit? Higher life. The life of God. The Zoe life of God is going to come out of you. Come on, somebody. What about the last one? The pot of manna. The manna that was out there in the wilderness. That came every morning. Krispy Kreme, fresh and new every single day. Melt in your mouth. That's all right, man. It's okay. This is my last verse, so even though we're close to lunch, hopefully I won't lose too many of you carnal people out here today. Praise the Lord. John chapter 6. You still here? Verse, look at this. Verse 57. As the living Father sent me. Who? Jesus. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. Underline it. So he who feeds on me, feeds us continual here. This isn't a one-time thing. He who feeds on me will live because of me. Now, live here doesn't mean just born again. Live means to walk in this upper, upper life, this higher life, this Zoe life. Guess what you're not going to do? You got to underline it. You got to feed on him. You're not going to walk in this kind of life if you don't feed on him. Well, who is he? He's the Word. He's the Word. He's the manna from heaven. How do you know? Next verse, 58. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Talking about himself. He's talking about himself. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate manna and are dead. He who eats this bread himself will live for what? Now, he's not physical bread. We know that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every. Jesus, John chapter 1 is the word. If you don't feed on the word, you are not going to get that manna in your heart. And if you don't have that manna in your heart, there's no faith being released. You got to believe in your heart before you speak with your mouth. I'm going to say it again. I said it earlier. It's not prayer that gets the job done. It is not prayer that gets the job done. It's believing prayer that gets the job done. Kenneth Hagin. If you don't believe what you're praying, it won't come to pass. It's not the confession of the word that brings it to pass. It's the believing confession that brings it to pass. Where's the believing part? In your heart. Romans 10. Man believes in his heart and therefore confession is made. What if you don't believe? Confess all you want. What's the problem with most people? They don't have the manna. Fresh and anew. The manna was fresh every day. The manna was fresh every day. Jesus said, you got to feed on me. So in relationship to that manna, what's he saying? You got to feed on me every day. If you want this spirit man inside to dominate, to come through your inner court, your soul, and to be released out of your mouth and out of your actions and see the power of God work, you got to feast on me every day. Because I'm not like the manna that your fathers had. Why is he saying that? Because there was manna put in that Ark of the Covenant. 
60, watch this. There are, uh, therefore, excuse me, therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? We got to feed on you? <laughs> Cannibalism? Oh my. We got to eat on you? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, what would cause you to complain about it? You're functioning out of your soul. Don't get down on them. They weren't born again yet. Don't get down on them. They weren't back to God's design yet. They, weren't, they didn't have a new spirit yet. What do they function out of? Their soul. And that's why they didn't get it. They couldn't have revelation of it. Why? Their spirit wasn't born again. Are you still with me? So Jesus, when he knew they complained about it, he said, does this offend you? 62. What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? Go back to heaven. 63. It is the Spirit. Note this verse. Highlight this verse. Underline this verse. Draw an arrow from verse 63 back to verse 57. It is the Spirit who gives life. What is it that gives life? So this life is what? It's the higher life. It's the Zoe life. Where's it coming out of? The manna that's in your heart. It is the spirit who gives life, the flesh, the old lower nature, the soulish, Adamic nature, the body's Adamic nature. Guess what? It is out of the flesh in which what? It profits nothing. Come on, somebody. The words. The what? The words that I speak to you. What are they? Spirit. And they're what? Life. If you don't feed on his words, if you don't feed on him the word. If you don't, verse 57, feed on me, you won't live forever. In other words, you won't live, excuse me, uh, you will live because of me. You won't walk in the Zoe kind of life because you're not feeding on it. Guess what it's got to do? It's got to become manna to your heart fresh every day. When the word of God comes alive in your heart, guess what it can now do? Produce power. Because that word is what? Zoe life. Has life in it. And that word itself then allowed to come forth through the soulish man where he will now allow it to be spoken out the mouth and not allow reasoning to stop it from going out. You listening? See, if you're still functioning out, you're soulish, man, and once in a while your spirit gets a little peep out of you and you go back to your soul, well, I just don't think that's going to happen. Well, I just know that's going to happen. Well, you just negated everything God was trying to do. Hello, Zacharias. We need to close your mouth up. Come on, somebody. Are you listening today? I will get in this tonight because I'm going to tell you, where did the priest spend most of his time in the context of what represented being you? Inner court. Where are you going to spend most of your time? Inner court. What did Hebrews 9 say? This is symbolic for me and you to understand what we're now to offer to God. We got to continually do our form of ministry in this inner court. If we deal with this soul of ours, which is the problem, the world's not your problem. The devil's not your problem. Well, he's mine, pastor. No, he's not. The Bible says he's been defeated. Colossians says God stripped him of his power and authority. How's he a problem to you? He's a problem to you because you think he is. But he's not. He's been defeated. He's a defeated foe. Isn't amazing? This guy who's literally deceiving so many people doesn't even realize he himself has already been defeated. You're listening called delusion. Notice any of that lately in our society? So so if you don't deal with this soul, this inner court, guess what can't get out? What cannot get out is the Shekinah glory, the power of God through your spirit man to flow out of your soul 
to come out of your body by way of words, by what you say with your mouth, by what you look at with your eyes, by what you do with your hands. But when all that's functioning out of your spirit, man, guess what you're doing? You just rose up into God's design for man. You're now functioning as a total being. Spirit in control, soul submitted, body as the slave, the very power and function of God is now working in your life. But you got to deal with this soulish realm. Because if you don't deal with this soulish realm, it will forever hinder, and it is, many Christians. It will forever hinder and blockade. Remember what the Bible said you cannot do in Mark chapter 11 about faith? You can't doubt in your heart. I cannot doubt in my inner man. I got to know that I know in my inner man. Well, how do I do that? You get the soul out of the way. You get the spirit to know what the Bible says. And when it gets to know what the Bible says, it gets a hold of it. Guess what? It don't doubt. It knows. Can I get a better amen? And then the soul, if you deal with it biblically, is simply going to do what? He's going to be a servant. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.